Oh, hello there. I think, possibly, you can all hear me. Uh, because it's it's rail night time. Um, oh my goodness. Let's just let's just get the let's just pin the live thing. Pin. There we go. Pinned. Oh, can everyone hear me? Are you getting reasonable sound quality coming through? Uh, just slide that over here. And oh gosh, my my desk is an absolute shambles at this point. As is the room around me. I've just exploded everywhere. Uh, there's just junk all over the place. It's been one of those months. Ah, oh, how how is everyone? Are you all well? Um, yeah, a bit of a change uh, in uh, the, the the schedule, as some of you might have worked out. Um, good. Hello, everyone. Uh, yes, so so this is a slight change in that we're going to be talking about climate change, a bit of a COP26 theme, uh, although this was supposed to be in two episodes' time, hence the Class 88. Um, and uh, we were going to be talking about um, buffer stops, but for obvious reasons, I think, as will come become clear in the news for anyone out of the loop, um, we will not be talking about buffer stops. Uh, and crashing trains as a theme this episode. So, um, let's get started, shall we? Uh, yes, let's do this thing. So, first of all, the usual, let's get the COVID stats up. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. So we have, um, what, what, what is there to actually look at this time around? So we've got, let's, let's just do this. So we've got, to be honest, the story is, I mean, okay, cycling is pitched a bit, but it, you know, it's probably just because there's been some unseasonably unpleasant weather. You know, it's been raining a lot, I don't know. Uh, it was quite nice last winter, maybe, that sort of thing. But cycling and, and driving, you know, roads and cycling are basically as they were pre-COVID, right? Buses, again, there's this, this sort of, you can see the rolling average in the tread. So this, this sort of, this, this rolling sort of shape of the buses, I'm a bit worried about that because bus usage... You know, buses are a critical part of everyone doing their, uh, uh, yeah, bus bus usage is critical for us kind of reducing our carbon emissions, our greenhouse gas emissions. So for bus usage to be weaving and waning is not good news. Uh, and then rail. Well, rail is just being weird. Rail is just sort of sitting almost to the point of like, I think we've, I think we've reached the asymptote, actually. Because it seems to be bouncing along at around the seventy percent, so around, but kind of around seven, around sort of seventy percent, uh, and actually it's kind of been dropping down to sixty percent even, uh, which is obviously not ideal. Yeah, it's kind of bouncing between these. You can see here that this is dropping to sixty, but never trust this. It generally bounces up about. It. You can see that it's kind of fairly flat. It looks like we've kind of reached a bit of a point of of kind of steadying. Uh, let's have a look at the next slide where you can sort of see things a bit more clearly. Yeah, you can see we we kind of we're kind of bumping bumping along a bit here. Uh, not so great. Massive lack of bus drivers in Gloucestershire, says Tim. Oh, thanks, Tim Ballon. Um, what are the blue dots below the blue line? Asked Matt Reed. Good question. These are the DFT uh, predicted numbers. Uh, so they always pre they, they they get the data a week. Rails a week behind because we have dreadful data management and also the way we uh, collect ticket data is is a bit messy. So we get a prediction that's then updated after the fact based on on who's actually travelled. And generally these the the dotted line, the predicted numbers undercount. And that actual number is, is a bit higher. But I include the dotted numbers just for curiosity for people, really. Um, but you can sort of see, you can sort of see, I, I don't always copy and paste them, but you can sort of see what's going on there. Tom's asking if the reduction in commuters explain the rail figures. Um, yeah, Tom, sorry, this has been something we've been talking about. We, we've been talking about this in kind of successive episodes. 
Uh, it's certainly the case that commuter that, that a reduction in commuters has you know, more people working from home, which is generally the market in, in and around London, at least, is accounting for a reduction in the number of uh, of you know, the, the core. In, in fact, the number of London the number of London travellers is is lower than it. You know, it's, it's pretty low, and it's been made. It's lower than it's apparent here, and it's been made up for by the increase in in long distance travellers. So there's overall long distance travellers are there are more of them than there were this time, kind of pre COVID. Uh, so yeah, lots of things at play, but we're about to talk about one of the factors that's at play because I have been crunching numbers thanks to uh, thanks to Tom Tom Cairns of uh, Real Time Trains fame. Um, because I've been doing some data crunching, data, data. Um, so, oh, uh, what's the variance in normal years? James P., it's a good question. Ah, yes. So, uh, you'd expect to see a bit of wibble. So you generally expect to see the wibble. I don't have this level of, of resolution, so it, I can't directly compare, but you'd expect to see this sort of cyclical noise because it's essentially, this is the fact that weekends, it's probably the fact that the weekend is offset. So this is based on the, the same time in pre-COVID, the same date in pre-COVID times, but that, you know, weekends and weekdays are kind of offset. So you'll see this sort of cyclical alteration, this sort of uh, that shape. And indeed, cycling is quite weather dependent, so it's probably impacted by kind of good or bad weather, which is obviously variant each year. As to what you'd expect the overall trend to be, um, you'd expect to be seeing, probably seeing a, a general increase, a kind of a steady increasing overall, for, certainly for rail through the year, so maybe an increase up to, you know, every what's the, what's the annual increase? It's, it's multiple percentage points, six to eight percent even, of ridership increase year on year. So you'd expect to sort of see, uh, kind of a, a general trend of increasing through the year. Um, yes. So, um, oh, where do e-scooters fit on this image? Uh, they don't. The e-scooters don't fit in this image. Uh, there's no really good e-scooter data, to be honest. Uh, it'd be nice to have a look at it. Uh, this data is not available for 2019 and previous years. No, the res this resolution here is just not available, uh, which is a shame, really, because it'd be very interesting to look at it. Um, I hope they continue the data set forever because it's interesting to look at ridership on a daily basis. I'd quite like them to break it down by train operating company. But there we are. Oh, people are saying I look tired. You are not incorrect. I'm quite tired. It's only because of work. It's nothing to do with Glinner doing a defamation on me or Walmart doing a defamation on me. Uh, Walmart's is inconsequential. Glinner's pretty horrific, but uh, yeah. Anyway, none of you need to worry about that. So, uh, data. Yes, I was teasing you about data. So the data, data, data is well. It, it's okay if I uh, if I unfilter this, you'll see. Wait a minute. Let me just uh, unfilter this. Uh, there's some data here. This is for each of the train operating company uh, kind of groups, uh, and what I've got are I've got two things. I've got uh, train count, so the number of trains per day. And I've got service miles, which is actually uh, a measure of how many miles the services are all scheduled to do each uh, each day. And it's for every Wednesday that we, we pick this up, actually, which is uh, sensible because it's midweek, not necessarily just because it's real now day. Um, and then I've got a percentage of the of those figures versus the peak, so versus the maximum, so the, 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 the high level of the timetable pre-COVID. Uh, so let's just hide all that. So what I've done here is I've filtered. It is, I know the text is very small, folks, particularly if you're looking on a mobile, but... So what I've got here is the um, 
uh, the percentage figure. So this shows the lowest percentages of the operate of the different operators. Let's zoom in so we get a bit of a better view, shall we? Because this, this will help us to see what's going on. So, um, so you get to see for each of the operators their low point during COVID. So TFW Wales went down to forty percent, forty percent. Cal Sleeper down to thirty percent, thirty seven percent for LNER, thirty uh, percent for Hull Trains. Actually, Hull Trains just finished everything. They, they, they drew a line under it for a while, didn't they? Uh, Island Line actually is unaffected. That's that's other non-COVID reasons why it's a zero percent there. Uh, Heathrow Express thirty percent, fifty percent Greater Anglia, forty percent West Midlands, fifty percent Overground. So it's all everything went down to kind of forty percent, some fifty percent. Um, Southwestern Railway went down to thirty four percent. It's quite remarkable. Transpennine Express went down to thirty percent. Look at that. Um, whereas TFL Rail just. Uh, didn't really drop much at all. Well, went down to sixty-two percent. Anyway, so what we've got there. So those are the lowest figures through through COVID, right? Uh, Transport foils, tokens, data. So these codes, these are the accepted codes in the system. They're just a hanger on from when the system was created, and you can see that, that, that VT for West Coast, um, LE for Greater Anglia. They're, 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 some of them don't make any sense at all, but those are the codes. Uh, it's worth just kind of popping in there. Anyway, so uh, if I zoom out. Uh, a bit more there uh, and then I'm going to scroll where's that here so I've got a nice big scroll bar um, I'm going to scroll in here I don't know why these are going grey don't worry about my uh, just it's just it's just basically Excel throwing a wobbly don't worry about that but you can see here all the nice greens for 100% of maximum level actually you can see the Cal Sleeper uh, this is because they hadn't changed the timetable I presume where they were running lower and then they reach a peak when did they reach a peak 0% 0% Seem to, I don't know what happened. So this is a bit where they ran more trains on this. Basically, things are going a bit weird for Cal Sleeper. So, so, so there's some artifacting, and some of these values need to be kind of like uh, kind of a bit more attention paid paid to it. Um, but if you could scroll along, you can. So this is the start of. Sorry, this is May. Uh, this is actually May 19. So you can see going through May 19. Uh, TFL, it's 62 percent by the way, because they hadn't enacted their new timetable. So. They reach a peak in a bit. So da 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 da. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Uh, and then so we get to the start. So we get to twenty twenty. Don't worry about that because it's it's Hogman A, so everything's to hell. And then actually, it's interesting, isn't it? Because this thirty four percent is giving. This is why I need to probably delete some of these. Uh, actually, maybe I should just do that now. Yeah, maybe I will do that right now because that'll help my numbers. There, delete this. Just delete that outright. Uh, there we go. That's a bit better, isn't it? That gives me some clearer a clearer picture. Anyway, so. Um, Uh, so you can see here, lots of lovely greens at the start of the year, start of 2020 there, greens, many greens, um, East Midlands, not so much, but anyway, and then um, uh, and then reds, some seriously spectacular reds, because COVID happened, didn't it? And then all of a sudden, all the services just got reduced massively. So there's this emergency timetable and all these reds, you can see the, t the Gatwick Express and Hull trains, they're really very dark red lots of reds and oranges and then some greens start appearing actually interestingly you can see grand central ran their full service again when they relaunched in september of 2020 and then there's more reds again towards the end of the start of 2021 when everything had gone to hell again if you remember and then and then kind of things start things have sort of not really reached normality yet so you can see we've got lots of you know lots of representing in fact if you look at these numbers here if i zoom in again um this gives you these numbers here are the ones that are now, so it gives you an idea of the current service provision being run. So Cal Sleeper, I need to work out what's going on with Cal Sleeper. Something's a bit weird with my numbers there. Uh, I'll get back to you on that. 
But, uh, you know, Great Northern's running 75%. I think the key ones are the long-distance services here, running, you know, um, 75% here for Great Northern, yeah. But then you've got TransPennine running 62%, uh, Avanti West Coast 73%, Cross Country 68%. You know, these, these are really low percentages, really low percentages. Why? Why on earth are these... Uh, why on earth is, is this happening? Anyway, uh, very strange. So uh, I'm going to do some control Zing and probably undo mid-deletes. There we are. Let's leave that there just in case because I think numbers. Anyway, right, so that's that. Oh, the other thing is um, is you get a nice graph uh, showing uh, there's, there's New Year, right? Yeah, New Year. There's a nice graph showing um, that you've got uh, there's 100% service provision. over. This is the total. And then you see the massive drop. And you can sort of see that it climbed and then it dropped again in the early part. This is this is this is a very rough graph. This isn't perfect, by the way. Um, and then and then the steady climb and then a bit of a jump. Presumably a timetable change. What is that? May twenty twenty one. Yeah, timetable change back to kind of around above uh, in total over uh, over eighty percent. So yeah, about eighty five percent. So so you can that kind of ties in. And uh, what I'm going to do is then bring these over into the normal. Uh, the normal graph in some way. I'll work out how to represent it on there. So that could be interesting. But anyway, there, so there's the data. Thanks to Tom for um, for, for pulling the kind of uh, outputting the stuff from his system. Uh, but uh, kind of interesting. It's very rough. That's a very rough um, rough spreadsheet. Don't worry about it too much. So anyway, let's go back to here. So there's the data. Um, fun data visualization. Oh, so the thing that you might be interested in. Oh, there's some questions. Right, that's okay. There's key questions that are coming up for this. Uh, uh, question. Oh, remember to at me in if you've got questions so I can see it. There's some love for the spreadsheets. Lovely. Um, uh, Adam Evans noticing. Yes. Uh, yes. Don't worry about Glinner. Uh, Matt Reed. Do you still think we'll be back to pre-COVID levels by the end of the year? If not, when do you think we will be? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, it's a good question. Uh, let's whiz back. Let's, uh, let me click on here and go back a few. So you can see that there's this. This is the this is the kind of the quote that's that's given for. Let me get my whack and back. Seventy five percent by the end of the year. Without any further incentives, it's not going to happen. You know, fares aren't any cheaper. The service provision has not reached one hundred percent yet. Be interesting to see what happens when the serv when the services bump in in December. The the timetable is going to change. So if if that then results in a bit of a bump, that'd be good. But we've had no incentive to bring people back. There's been Treasury have just been entirely half arsed in making any effort to 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 bring people back onto railways. So I have to say I'm not optimistic. I think we've reached a bit of a bump stop. I think we might end up kind of sitting at around sixty seventy percent by the end of the year. Uh, and if there's another lockdown, even worse. Um. Uh, Owen O'Neill asks a good question. Oh wait a minute, sorry. Uh, Chris McKenna, why low mileage? Uh, I've heard suggested it's because Tox have to pay money back to DFT for bailout cash. No, I don't think so. I, they're all basically running as concessions now. I don't think that's the situation. Um, so where are we? Da, 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 da. Yes, passenger numbers are uh, hefty uh, in particular services. I'd like to get the overcrowding data, actually. Again, all the data comes in at its highest resolution. The normal data sets are quarterly, which is not that useful. It'd be quite nice if it was weekly. Graham Harris, absolutely right. Abolish the Treasury. Owen O'Neill, is this services timetable or run? It's so Tom. I don't know if Tom's in the chat. This is um, uh, this is services timetabled, but if there are some lines near you that are doing a lot of short notice cancellations, that's interesting. And, and it's actually one for Tom to, to remind me. To, in fact, if any of you are in the Discord, just at Tom in. Uh, Tom's on the Discord server. You can um, have a yeah. You can ask him yourself because it's a very good question uh, we chatted a little bit about this but it was a bit difficult to manage the the cancellations i'd be interested to know what it includes what it is for cancellations i'll just do it on one week so um anyway yeah so 
Uh, Michael C asks, can we overlay the passenger numbers with the service provision? Uh, that's my plan. I'll do that for next week, you see. That's that's kind of what I'm going to do. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Anyway, right. So key headlines are that rail usage um, is at around 70% and service level is between 60 and 95% for different train operating companies. Um, so, uh, so there you go. Uh, Tom is not in the chat. Yeah, well, he's in the Discord, so we can pick him up later. He's probably preoccupied with day job things. Uh, so yeah, so this is service level, but as others have pointed out, this is kind of uh, this is timetabled. Uh, so maybe maybe the actual is is lower, uh, perhaps. Who knows? Uh, but anyway, there we go. Uh, hopefully interesting. Hopefully a little, little insight. Uh, right, the news. Uh, and this is a, an obvious one, I think, uh, for everyone, but uh, it's the Salisbury rail crash. And I just want to give a bit of a warning that there are going to be some images, uh, as a bit of a content warning, there are going to be some rail crash uh, images in the next couple of slides. Oh, yes. So, and I'm willing to talk about this a bit, but I, I, we're at the point where we basically know most of the information we need to know, uh, actually, to be honest. I, I, it, given the RAIB's um, releases, it seems like a pretty open and shut case, but they will be going to great detail to investigate. Some of the other stuff that's more interesting around what happened in the immediate aftermath, I think, is maybe worth dwelling on a little bit. But yeah, uh, happy to answer any questions about this. And if I if it's an, a question I can't answer, I'll just ignore you. Um, but yeah, do chuck some questions. But before we do that, Mary Bradley has just asked a question. Mary Bradley, Gareth, do you think the money from the budget that went towards subsidising domestic flights should have gone to subsidising rail? Um, uh, two two things to this one. I mean, the domestic flight subsidy is nonsense and ridiculous and, and bonkers. But, um, but, but it doesn't have to... Finances don't necessarily have to work like a, a back and forth of, of what pays for, you know, move one thing to another thing. Uh, we can do lots of things all at once. So, so kind of yes, but also... Uh, doesn't necessarily uh, work like that so you can um you know you can you can pay for multiple you can decide to pay for other things any you know choices about spending are political not economic um in terms of you know whether you can or cannot spend something it's not an economic choice it's a political choice anyway right so salisbury right so content warning uh so here is the here's one of the images that kind of doesn't get doesn't it's not too horrendous but it's from the evening and uh it's absolutely horrific absolutely horrific crash um Particular, you know, thoughts have to go out to the driver of the uh, of the Southwestern Railways train because um, they are, you know, they they have, you know, if, if the, the the official statement made clear that they've suffered serious injuries, absolutely serious and, and life potentially life changing injuries um, as a result of this crash, uh, and that's a driver who, if the RAIB statement is is to be is is absolutely correct, that's a driver who very much was a passenger. Uh, at the point where they were applying their brakes. So what happened in this crash? It's probably best to put Google Earth up to explain what's what's happened, actually. So, um, yes, yeah, let me just uh, do this and this and this. Yes. Well, actually, to be honest, the best first thing is I've got, I've got a slide is to put this up. So, <clears throat> um, yes, so uh, here is uh, an overhead showing uh, down here. Let me get my... Down here is, uh, so you can see I've just circled it in red. This is the approach signal for the Southwestern train service going along here. Now you might notice, and I've just highlighted it all in red, which is impossible to see for people who are colorblind, so I'm going to fix that. Uh, let me just change this to yellow. There we go. Uh, you know, it's all this stuff here. 
yeah, this, all this, all this stuff. And actually, this stuff continues this way as well. Uh, yes, this is, and and here as well. All this stuff, this is all trees. And what do these trees have on them? They have leaves on them, and it is an incredibly common problem for our railway that we have adhesion problems as a result of leaf fall. We have we we're a very leafy country, and as a result of that, um. We have, you know, we, as a result of being a very green, leafy country, we have a serious challenge from leaf fall on the railways. This is another reason why lots of these trees, these shouldn't be here. They just shouldn't be here. Uh, we can, you know, and it's not a case of, of turn all of the railway into a desert. There is, you know, there is a space for managed vegetation. But by and large, um, certainly in breaking, in critical breaking areas, these should be got, just get, they're gone. Just get rid of them. Absolutely get rid of them. And I'm hoping, as a result of this incident, these will all be kiboshed. Likewise, these. Just get rid of them all. This is a critical junction. And what's happened is... So up here, you can see there's a nice uh, nice approach here. This is the Great Western uh, train was coming up here. And then coming up behind, and supposed to stop at this junction, this, uh, this signal down here, was the Great Western service. What then happened, if I get my Google Earth up, is that... Uh, this is the same image-ish you can see here. Uh, this is the layout, by the way. If I if I go back here, this gives you an idea of where Salisbury is. If you want to know, where you get your bearings. Salisbury station is down here. Uh, the tunnel is is here. You can see the tunnel where the incident was. Uh, the Great Western service is coming up here. Anyway, uh, Simon, correct me if I'm getting this wrong, um, and I'll answer the questions that are coming through in a sec. Uh, so this is where the Southwestern service was coming, and the Southwestern service should have stopped at a signal about here. The Great Western Service was making its way through. This great, this Southwestern Service, on approach to the signal, the driver will have applied the brake and proceeded to not stop at all. And a full wheel lockup and essentially just slid with all the momentum that a, you know, multiple hundred ton train will have along a low friction rail, proceeded to then collide with the, with fairly blunt impact, collide with the... Um, with the Great Western Service here, and you can see what's happened. Uh, this is an, you know, the driver was trapped for a long time and has been seriously injured. This is a driver who was a who was a passenger very much in this in this incident. So Graham Harris has done has answered excellently about the ABS thing. Uh, ABS is useless if you've hit a patch of ice or oil on the road. It's exactly the same result. Trains have lots of sophisticated traction uh, devices, but the thing. So so right. Let me go back through and answer some of these questions. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, yes, Adam Evans. Do the trains involved have some form of ABS? If not, would, they, would it have prevented this? So, yeah, Graham's answered that perfectly. No. Um, what we do have are a series of trains. Actually, I probably should have put a picture up of them. We've got the railhead treatment trains. We've got a, 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 quite a large range of different vehicles that run around the train, the, the, the network, the rail network, uh, jetting the head of the rail and applying sandite to get rid of the leaf mulch. The, the, the leaf stuff forms a very thin... Uh, let's get big face up. Let's... let's very briefly, uh, hello everyone. Uh, it's me looking haggard. The the the. So when you get the leaf fall, it forms a very thin kind of, uh, actually a very effective lubricant on the head of the rail because there's a very high pressure between the wheel and the rail, uh, and that essentially pulverizes the leaf mulch into a and with a mix with moisture into a a very effective lubricant. And the only way you can really get rid of this is by jetting the the rail head and then applying sandite which is a sort of a sandy sort of mixture that, that kind of attack that kind of attacks and gets rid of that that leaf mulch and we just have to run around the network with lots of trains doing this the whole time through leaf season there's no other way, there's no other way 
Um, well, devegetation is the other way, you know, managing the, the ashes. But you have a, just look at this picture. You know, go back to this picture here. Look at all this. Look at look at this. Look at look at it all. Huge amounts of vegetation all overhanging the the railway. Uh, this isn't. This is not. This is not good. This is, and once again we come to the fact that we have a railway that is suffering with budget cuts and kind of ill-advised and and falsely applied constraints to funding. And it's meaning that things like vegetation management take a back seat. You know, you look across the network and vegetate, and you know, there's always the pictures coming out in summer of railways being inundated by vegetation. Veg management is critical, and we're just not on top of it. And we're doing, you know, the network rail are doing their best to keep on top of it, but they are not funded, and we're not staffed sufficiently, and we don't have enough access to get on and manage vegetation in the way that we should. Um, Gareth Williams asked, "Do other countries have a similar problem with leaves?" Yes, they do. They do indeed. Where they are leafy, they have the same problems. Uh, let's go down. What else have we got? Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, the Kai AD. Do you think this incident will go any way to convince those people that pointlessly complain about the possibility of lineside trees being removed? Uh, I don't know. I don't think people, those the people who just campaign, like, ultimately, I don't like it when we chop down trees. Trees are nice and good and have lots of benefits. But also we need to have a resilient railway system and safe railway system in order to tackle climate change, as we're going to talk about late, later. Um so yes, uh, it, we we need to deal with trees. Jake Welsh, uh, oh wait a minute, sorry. David Shepard asks, is it possible for a crash train to automatically send out a stop alarm? Well, multiple things about this. Firstly, uh, yes, drivers when they derail, uh, they can hit a device on their on the dashboard of the train that's basically a big red button that sends out a radio signal across GSMR, and uh, all the other trains uh, in the area stop. Simple. Um, and there, and the, the signalling system. You know, if you've got a train off, the signals. The, the, while that train was still in block, all the signals would be red anyway. So you know, the, 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 if, if a train is is kind of crashed and, and blocking other lines, you'd get an interruption to track circuits generally. But yeah, the first thing the driver will do if they're okay. So the driver of the Great Western train did this. They bashed the uh, the big red button that puts the stop uh, signal out everywhere. Um. So, uh, Jake. Uh, Jake Welsh asks, will this crash damage confidence in rail travel, which will harm passenger numbers and therefore investment in rail? Uh, there's quite a lot to unpick in that question. Uh, crashes always damage confidence in rail travel. Unfortunately, we've seasoned ourselves, and I gave this answer in a, an interview on Radio Wiltshire the other day. Um, you know, we, we're, we're used to, and, and sadly have entirely normalised, 2,000 people being killed on our roads every year, and 25,000 being life, with life-changing injuries or being killed. You know, those are huge numbers. We've just entirely normalized that. On the railway, we have, you know, single-figure fatalities or, you know, no rail crash fatalities. You know, we had Stonehaven recently, of course, and then fatalities as a result of um, kind of injuries at platforms we do get every now and then. You know, we have single figures of fatalities and we have very small numbers of injuries on the railway. But these, unfortunately, because we've normalized ourselves to road accidents, we see rail crashes and get very scared of them. But... I don't, it, they never seem to have a huge impact on on ridership, to be honest. So, so historically, the things that hit ridership are more the engineering aftermath. So, Hatfield, for example, it was all the speed restrictions and rail renewals that hit numbers more than than people's confidence in rail. As for passenger numbers and investment, well, passenger numbers and investment, you know, you should invest more for more pa to get. If you've got low passenger numbers, you need to invest more to get more passenger numbers. Of course, Treasury doesn't see it like that. Uh, James P. Steve Moles has an excellent video on leaf mulch and its lubrication properties. Thanks, uh, thanks for that, James P. Um, Mondo Man Seven One Two says, "But the Woodlands Trust told me that these trees are much more important than those being removed for road building." Well, indeed, 
Uh, let's see. Dave uh, asked, do you think the RAIB may recommend in-cab signaling improvements across the network due to this? No, I don't think so. It wouldn't make any difference in this in, in this circumstance. Uh, guy 16 do you know how the crashworthiness of the 159s compares to other units? Uh, it's pretty good, actually. They're fairly new. They don't have the, um, you know, they're not as safe as the post mid to late 90s units that you know like the pendolino they don't incorporate those crashworthiness features but they are pretty uh crashworthy uh, vehicles the, the these they are much safer than sort of you know for example mark 3 based stock uh what else uh all our fleet has uh wheel slip protection and sanding generally above 50 percent brake applications the sanding happens automatically thanks Stuart Aslett. that's very useful uh there we go so Salisbury train crash. So, um, so that's all the leaf stuff. Uh, I'm going to put this picture up. I should have pre-warned, but just I wanted to. It's a very small, very low resolution picture. But I, I think I didn't want to put lots of gratuitous picture up. But this one particular, I think it just indicates the energy that's involved in this collision, and also the circumstances for the driver. Really horrible, absolutely horrible, and all happening within a tunnel as well. Talking of which, uh, oh, this well, this should, don't yeah, don't leak logs. This this should actually be a thing that appears. Let me appear. There we go. Um, let me just hide that. Right. So, yes, this is a graphic that's bollocks. Uh, let me just while well, just in case. Uh, this is rubbish. This is a graphic that was produced by everyone's favorite daily hate mail uh, following the incident. Based on nothing, entirely fictional, made-up sequence of events, uh, talking about the fact there's a the train hit something, uh, derails, people are trapped for seven minutes inside. Like what? Travels toward passing the signals that indicates the route ahead of safety. So all of this, this is all. So this is this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. SWRS train slams into rear of derail. Well, no, it's not derail, but this is at least kind of partially correct. Flips and falls onto its side, sliding on inside the side. Well, that's kind of that's kind of all right. That's kind of correct. And then there's, obviously that's fine. So this is all absolute rot. And yes, media places shouldn't have jumped on and kind of contrived all this stuff. Yes, even I, even in an interview, I was I was very I, I re-listened and I was glad that I I was careful with my wording and I didn't say you know when the train hit something I was saying well we don't know if it's hit something so I reassured by my own wording when I came back to it but um but this is this this has all come all this all this rubbish of people kind of repeating kind of this this nonsense all came about because of the leaked log um that came out on. Uh, that came out on the night, someone within Network Rail leaking a log to the media. Now, it is the case that logs go around kind of kind of some of the, the rail press, perhaps get, get access to some of these. But if that happens, it's always on the understanding that they do not publish anything that's in a log that is not in a public statement. So the, the logs are maybe, you know, people you know at the higher up end of the industry, uh, kind of the industry press... Um, the railway press and, and kind of other people in the rail industry see some of these logs. So they do, to an extent, these logs do the rounds. And I don't think it's unreasonable that that happens because that allows some of the people who are in the know and well-informed who know how to treat that sort of information, it helps them kind of get maybe keep it up, up to date with things and, and it allows them to answer caref to be careful with what they're answering and steer around. So, you know, people like Nigel Harris will see logs. And it's not... I don't think it's unreasonable that people like Nigel Harris will see logs because... Um, 
the rail press understands that it, unless it is a public statement, those logs are up for alteration. They might not be correct. And indeed, in the case of the log that did the rounds, that log was completely wrong. It was just not right. And that's fine. It's not the fault of the person who put the log together that that's wrong. They've, they've, they've gained information they can, probably from a complicated picture of messages and phone calls coming through to the signaling center. They have then put that in a log, which has then gone out. The mistake was made where someone decided to share that with the sorts of people who write for the Daily Mail and generally shared it with the wider press and the wider media who don't understand the content. All they see is a document that looks official, you know, looks ostensibly official, and therefore they consider it to be read. They consider it to be, you know, an official statement. When of course it isn't, because only the official statements have the absolutely certain information on them. And so my message to anyone who's uh, who, who shared this is um, don't leak logs. For God's sake, if you're out there, do not leak logs. Share them with people who you feel, you know, I mean, likelihood is they ain't getting shared to anyone anymore because there'll be a massive clampdown. So, you know, but do not leak logs, for goodness sake, because the, the misinformation, the worry, the fact that the... You know, there was information that the driver was okay going around, when in fact the driver was certainly not. There's all this stuff about the signaling system not functioning. You know, that, like this this stuff that, that that knocks confidence in the railways in the way that the system works and gets a lot of people confused. The idea that people are trapped inside the train, this stuff, which is, you know, people weren't trapped for seven minutes before the second crash. They, they were trapped after the crash. This was after the crash happened. It's all this confused mess. Just don't leak logs, folks. Um, so while that's there... Uh, let me have a look back through some of the questions going through here. Matt Reed's asking uh, what the speed the trains are travelling at. No, we don't know yet. Uh, we don't know. Uh, actually, I don't know if the latest had it, but kind of, yeah, we don't, we don't know exactly yet. Um, yes, exactly. Untrained, ignorant people reading a log item, Simon, exactly. Uh, that leak should never have happened. Completely unethical, yet fully agree, Chris. It was totally unacceptable. Um, uh, yes. Yep, early, yeah, as Simon points out, Simon, who, uh, who deals with logs and, uh, you know, sees these things, absolutely, early log entries have little, very little information and get edited with corrections quickly. Absolutely they do. And it's quite right, you know, it's not, the fault is not that the log was wrong. The log is a live document, and everyone in, kind of, within the industry understands that th those documents are not to be taken as, as, as being accurate or correct information, because they're just a representation of the understanding at that, that pinpoint in time. Um, so, uh, what's, uh, David Shepard, who, what, who, I can't see who you're referring to, because, uh, yes, uh, here we are, there, so, right, anyway, right, enough of that, so, right, enough, sorry, I'm waffling, because I'm trying to catch up the questions, let's go through the, the rest of the news, uh, COP26, uh, COP26 is happening, so that's why some of you might be here, hello to people who are here to rail that for the first time, uh, thinking about COP26, the, the big news from COP26 is that uh, bicycles and trains don't exist. Uh, basically, no mention of bicycles or trains. It's all about cars, which is great, isn't it? Really, really great. Everything's great. Greaty, great, great. Oh, so we're going to talk about, about it in, tonight, in tonight's episode. Uh, and uh, I'm going to make my face reappear. But um, while I have a sip of coffee, and while you all kind of collect up with... Uh, collect up your thoughts and think about questions to ask because it's going to be an open session it's going to be back to the back to the rail natter roots and um, it only remains for me to say uh, welcome to tonight's rail natter everyone
as the Intercity 225 fades away, I'm going to put these up. Hopefully some of you know what these are, actually. Who recognises these? Ah, you should all recognise these. These are, the, I've put these up before in Rail Matter. These are Hawkins' warming stripes. And I put them up, there's a slightly different way to visualise them, which I'm going to put up now. Um, and it's these, it's the, uh, it's this, this is, you can see here, uh, this is the average global temperature, or temperature anomaly from 1850 to 2020. And you can see that global temperatures have increased by over 1.2 degrees since 1850. And you might think, oh, 1.2 degrees, that's, that's not much. Um, that's not much at all. Well, as it happens, 1.2 degrees is let's get my miniaturized face up let's, let's, let's go here's my face hello I'm, I'm, I'm in the corner if you imagine the atmosphere uh, is is like a lava lamp and if you inc if you turn the volume up under that lava lamp you know turn the temperature up everything starts bubbling around more chaotically and so you get more kind of chaotic extreme weather events and that is what has been happening in britain uh and indeed across the world, amongst all the other problems with uh, with global uh, with the climate increasing. And before anyone queries this, because I did have a couple of people when I presented the, the, some of these slides in uh, in Carlisle, some people came and afterwards were kind of raising the fact that they don't believe that, you know, they're like, oh, there's no, science, there's no scientific consensus over uh, whether this is as a result of human activity. Let me just, just point out, there is 100% scientific consensus over climate change being impacted by human activity 100% scientific consensus right there may be one or two loonies like Piers Corbyn who don't believe so but rounded it's 100% consensus so let's 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 not even try and drag us back to 20 30 years ago of climate denialism no we are responsible for this and for the most part it's it's carbon emissions uh, greenhouse gas emissions so equivalent carbon emissions so things like methane as well but um and, and what does this mean? So, so I think I've put these pictures up before. So, you know, climate is, is the, the definition of climate is a 30-year rolling average of weather. And so that means that if you're, you know, if you're altering the climate, that means that you're conversely going to get an impact on weather. And so, as you can see here, uh, here are some nice images of extreme uh, extremes of, of, of rainfall, of, of temperature. Let me go, let me don't go down here and grab this and make it red again because red red's an easier color uh so so this one here is uh where, where are we there we are uh this one is is rainfall you can see some extremes of rainfall here in cumbria this one is extremes of temperature uh massive you know two degree anomaly through through this through summer 2018 it was a hot one wasn't it and then this one is droughts this is may 2020 and the lack of the lack of rainfall and, and actually it's the the extremes of both lots of rainfall and lack of rainfall that are really bad for earthworks amongst other things uh, yeah as graham harris is pointing out methane uh, co2 uh, and uh, uh, cfcs as well so and uh, you know so this manifests itself in and indeed recently we you know we've seen this at the start of the week over the weekend cockermouth and annan had two of its bridges beautiful bridges swept away by the extreme rain cockermouth has seen this all before of course uh, but yeah cumbria is flooding just only recently so this is happening now it's impacting on us on us absolutely now uh, and indeed, yeah, this is kind of topical because I was—I basically filched my slides, the, the climate change slides I was using over the uh, over the weekend up in Carlisle, talking to the campaign to, for for Boris Rail, which was nice. I'll do a rail matter on that presentation because I think it's kind of maybe some of you wanted to see it. But um, yeah, this is Eden uh, Eden Valley and the, the 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 railway getting washed away by the extremes of rainfall. If you remember this, 
weather versus railways with Alex Priestley. We went through all this stuff. So here's the railway kind of uh, going, uh, the, the side of the slope disappearing off and taking the, the, the railway with it. Uh, and there's the rainfall for that. So, so that's all the good stuff. And also, there are more catastrophic impacts, of course. So, I mean, you all, everyone watching this should know about Carmen. You know, there's the, a washout of a drainage system. We're waiting for the final report. The sooner it comes, the better. Washout of a drainage system, which derailed uh, an HST, which then crashed and, and tragically killed three people. You know, really catastrophic uh, derailment. And you can, uh, so that was as a result of you know that that was as a result of of not really it was not just the, the the extreme rainfall event that happened there it was as a result of extreme rainfall events happening around the whole of Scotland all at once it was as much a breakdown in communications as anything else as 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 we kind of talked about in that in that the uh, the Carmen episode uh, breakdown in communications as a result of all of these extreme events happening all at once um Hello to those who were at the CBR event. Yeah, nice to nice to see you. So, what are we doing about it? Uh, so, any of you who are at that, that event will recognise these slides because I've just dragged them straight over. Um, so here, and and some hopefully lots of you will recognise this. So, some successes in the UK, right? Energy, we've reduced energy greenhouse gas emissions by sixty percent, fifty percent for industry, forty percent for business. Residential is a bit more rubbish. And if I if I hide my face, let me just uh, get rid of my face temporarily. Um, you know, residential is a bit more rubbish. So yeah, insulate Britain. They 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 do know what they're talking about. Yeah, uh, this like yeah, insulate Britain. But uh, also transport. Transport is the one that's missing. And and this three percent is actually being too kind because it does not include international flights or international uh, shipping. Uh, so actually, I think the figure for this is is like minus two percent if you include those. So uh, transport emissions have got worse through my lifetime. So just rubbish. So we've solved the... The thing is, this is this is easy. This is easy. This is pretty easy. Business, pretty easy. These are all easy things. Easy. Things that are hard are all of our rubbish houses in Britain. Houses. And then transport, because it involves behavior. And... Investment. Boo. These are bad things, according to Treasury. So, hence why these have not been solved. Um, and the reason for this, as and you, all of you should be familiar with this, right? Uh, the reason for this is because of transport modal share. So, we have 1.1% of people and things move around in the UK by air, 10% by rail, and nearly 90% by road. Th these are the problems. These are the challenges. Um, so Gareth, you're asking how many years each of these bars represents. These uh, are uh, 1990 to today-ish. Actually, it's, tw it's to 2018. Uh, I need to go and update the numbers, but it's, it's basically the same. Uh, not much improvement, really. Things have stabilized because, you know, this government is particularly useless and Britain's been in crisis mode since 2016. So, uh, yeah, that's basically the reduction emissions throughout my entire lifetime. Anyway, modal share. Um, and so this is this is the the graph that I always put up when people talk about railway decarbonisation. Railways, yes, we should be decarbonising, but it's the reason we need to be doing things like electrification isn't because of decarbonisation. Because if I snap my fingers overnight, uh, I've made my face go away. I'll bring my face back shortly. Don't worry. If I snap my fingers overnight, um, three point six million tons of CO two would be saved annually. Um, which is some, I actually, I'm changing these graphics actually to do a representation of exactly how much of an overall UK percentage that represents. But as a relative scale, if I instead shifted 10% of people from 
air and road into rail, that would represent nearly three times that saving, uh, 9.5 million tons of CO2 equivalent, which is a tremendous reduction in uh, in CO2. So that, you know, this is is decarbonisation, decarb, uh, and this is this is modal shift, and this is why, this is why electrification in, electrification is important because of this one. It's because of this one, not because of this one. Decarbonisation is a useful side effect of electrification, but electrification allows us to run a better railway, which means we can move more people and things around. So that's the critical critical thing here. Um, out of curiosity, or rather out of interest, uh, the fuel duty freeze has had its own impact as well, which is. The impact of fuel duty, this is per year, by the way. So this is savings per year. The annual, uh, this isn't a saving. This is how much is being burned by the fuel duty freeze. So this 10 million tons of CO2 equivalent that we'd save a year as a result of this modal shift is being almost entirely cancelled out and then the same again by the fuel duty freeze. So this indicates how critical policy is for making a difference to, to carbon emissions. That's another 18 million tonnes of CO2 being released this year and more as a result of fuel duty being frozen yet again. Absolutely catastrophic. Honestly incredible. So the key thing is that 10% modal shift, if we go back to the modal shift diagram, okay, so 10% reduction in road actually means a 10% increase, you know, an overall uh, increase of rail by 100% almost. So it's almost a doubling to do, to drive that modal shift share uh, that modal shift which means that's where i get, you know that's where you come up with the the need for britain to double britain's railways to double their capacity by 2050 and it's not just me making it up this is the center for alternative technology the green party uh, actually have their policy actually says that they need to increase rail's capacity by between 50 and 100% which makes which shows how stupid their anti hs2 policy is you know this is the key quote Britain's railways need to double their capacity by 2050 to enable modal shift from road to rail. Oh, and to do that, to do that, requires multiple things to be happening. Uh, and okay, this is an infrastructure focus. Yes, we also need to do ticketing. We need integrated ticket, better, we need reduce, reduced fares. But actually, reduced fares can only really happen when we increase capacity. And to increase capacity, fundamentally, we need more steel. And more, more track, more trains, because we also have a shortage of trains in this country. Uh, the Roscoe's will never release, you know, they will never buy more trains than they can ever lease in a given moment, which is a problem because it means that we have an inflexible system. So here's Manchester being renewed. So we need massive existing network upgrades need to happen. These don't disappear. We need these to happen to increase capacity. We also need to um, build railway lines, kind of small railway lines serving local communities. We need more local, uh, new local railways being built kind of regional railways being built. This is borders, of course. Um, we need more of these to happen. But of course, we also need new major high-speed net- railway lines in order for us to grow capacity uh, in a massive way. You know, step changing capacity by releasing uh, space on the existing railway network. That's the key stuff. Um, so, oh, but all that discussion... What's the problem? Well, the problem is that, and this is an excellent, if depressing, piece published uh, in Rail Business UK. Go find it. Uh, pointing out that the rail, that the all, lots of industry insiders, uh, including myself, do vigorously believe that Treasury have absolutely no interest in growing rail capacity. In fact, they intend to contract the industry right at the point where we need to be growing. Frightening, absolutely frightening. So Q and A time.
It's back. It's a traditional Q and A, folks. It's my big face. Hello. Oh, I need to get a little a little doodad down here for big face, don't I? Like a little rail natter thingy. I don't know. Because at the moment it's just a it's just a screen with nothing in it. I should maybe you know step up on the graphics front. Anyway, right. How about that? Let's go down up here. So. Uh, right, questions. Uncritical Simon. Are buses coaches greener than rail travel per passenger kilometre? Because I've heard this be asserted, particularly for a full coach. Uh, it can be over certain distances, but it depends on all sorts. And, you know, you give e-buses and things. So, like, yeah, but the point is that these they achieve different things. And it's not just about pure carbon emission savings per passenger. It's about how many people you're getting off the road, which means that the bigger picture is you've got to have, you know, you've got to have the permanence and the capacity and the speed that rail provides. And also, as uh, Pete Johnson, if, if Pete's in here, uh, Pedro J UK on Twitter, can point out that a lot of those carbon emissions in transport as a result of long distance travels, uh, travel, long distance journeys and, and freight, not not the short journeys that can be done by walking and cycling and should be anyway, and, and e-bikes e, e and, and e-scooters and all these good things. Uh, Dave asked, does that include Northern Ireland or, or Republic of Ireland or just the island of Britain? It's just GB. Those are just GB stats. Uh, the the mode shift is GB stats, not Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland is kind of excluded from that, yeah. Um, Adam Evans, I'm a bit of a petrol head, but when visiting a city with proper rapid transit system, country with great rail, I've asked for tube trained cars. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a petrol head too, but I don't like, you know, most journeys are far better not by car. Like, you know, I will active, I will always choose to travel by train if I can, because it's more pleasant. It's just nicer. Um, and also in cities, everything works better. The thing that makes the city the nicest is when you're in a, in a city and there are no cars in it. And it's empty and it's peaceful and there's nice public transport digging its way through. It's just nice. Uh, cities are for people, not for cars. Um, do, 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 do. How much would it cost to decarbonise rail? Also, how long would it take? Matt Reed, I refer you to the TDNS episode because we quote both those in that episode. Uh, where are we? Off we got Dave, uh, how do these modal figures compare to some of our direct peers like France, Germany, Italy, etc.? Uh, Switzerland has quite substantially higher mode share for rail. I think it's, it's 30%. Uh, but it would be interesting to have a comparison, wouldn't it? Yeah, I haven't actually got the got the data to compare. I shall make a point of, uh, probably in the Discord, I shall make a point of making the comparison. Um, David Shepard says, isn't doubling the capacity of the rail network a bit of a small ambition? No, because if you have 50 to 100% more rail capacity combined with a reduction in overall journeys, that achieves, that can achieve net zero, that can achieve the level of carbon reduction we need Um it's, you know, doubling rail capacity by 2050 involves a lot of physical work to be out. I mean, this is the decade that needs to happen in, not the 2030s, not the 2040s, the 2020s. And yet everything's being pushed back as far as possible by Treasury. Uh, where are we? Right. Uh, Memnonia. It's difficult to engage with these numbers without falling victim to climate grief. You know, yeah, that is true. Uh, basically, all people who care about this stuff are in, in a state of perpetual sort of trauma as a result of the lack of action by people. I I should have put oh, that picture. I should have put that picture in real matter. That picture with the blinking leaders of the country wishing themselves luck by chucking a penny over their shoulder into that fountain in Rome. It's like, no, you are literally in charge of everything. You make you're in charge. Make the change happen. No, the buck stops with no one else. It's you guys. Oh my goodness, absolutely hateful scenes. Vile. Oh, it makes me so angry. Uh, Owen O'Neill suggests we should all try to get jobs in the Treasury and become double agents. That'd be nice. David Shepard, how much high-speed rail can we actually build by 2050, given unlimited investment? Pfft, not much more than we're currently 
investing in because without the guarantee of without the long-term pipeline of saying yeah actually we're going to do this the supply chain will never grow and we'll never be able to deliver more um matt reed asked if the government are truly bothered about being net zero why on earth aren't they electrifying east west rail oh because they don't care they just don't care uh dave considering the uk voting history how do we convince the public in the needs for massive infrastructure projects and to ditch the cars well there's kind of two two issues there uk voting history is uh is that we generally vote tory that's pretty much the baseline um and the conservative party aren't hugely interested in massive infrastructure projects they're interested in occasionally saying they're going to do them but then when it comes to actually making them happen they have a pretty poor track record um yes so tom is there a way to rapidly reintroduce good electric trams across cities even if they're a bit gadget banish uh i well basic again government needs to fund them the, the way to make them appear is for government to fund them the, the issue is you know we could build these things pretty quickly trams are pretty rapid to, to, to roll out if the funding's there you know these tram projects are good because they can happen within a few years they just the funding needs to be there and government is obsessed with making competitions and, and delaying and not investing um uh so uh graham Howarth just just simply has commented low traffic neighborhoods yeah absolutely we need to be develop we need to be kind of gentifying as many of our uh cities as we possibly can and uh, nicholas marshall uh what do you think about the bbc message saying electric cars are better than public transport it was based on a very bad bit of science or actually no it wasn't they misquoted a not particularly good bit of paper although the authors have sort of were clear that they shouldn't have that the that the bbc article misused the data um but it's just unfortunately it's Partly, it's because the BBC now, I love the BBC, but the BBC now is much more taking on the role of an actual state broadcaster than a public service broadcaster because of the fact that the Tories, since 2010, David Cameron started it, and they've just saturated that organisation with their minions. And as a result, it's, it's, it has result, and there, there are still good people within the BBC. BBC News, you know, uh, has a lot of good people still in it, working at, at both an editorial and a, and a journalist uh, kind of uh, correspondent level. But this group think the idea that they are they, the idea they are having to repeat the, the they are essentially repeating government lines on a lot of things, and the the electric car thing is absolutely one of them. But unfortunately, it's also a thing that te a lot of tech journalists do. Tech journalists are obsessed with EVs entirely at the expense of the better solutions, which are all the ones we already have. Uh, right, there we are. We, da, 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 da. Uh, Jermaine, hello, I'm fine. Yeah, don't worry, Jermaine, I'm, I'm all right. Uh, and uh, secondly, do you think any sort of progress were made in decarbonizing rail in COP26? Uh, none at all. But as we said, decarbonizing rail isn't so important. It's decarbonizing transport that's critical. Uh, decarbonizing rail is frankly not that important. The, 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 the thing that is important is not to decarbonize rail. It is to make the railway run better. And that's why, that's another reason why all these alternative solutions are not great because they aren't necessarily providing the benefits that electrification does like the, the the reason why you electrify railways is not to decarbonize them it's to make them better so that you can have more you can move more people and things by rail you can have faster better accelerating higher capacity trains lighter trains all these things um chris uh chris varga findlitter uh pronounce your name terribly i'm so sorry the government need to better engage with industry leaders. The problem, this problem is true across manufacturing and energy too. The apathy of the government is extremely frustrating. Absolutely it is, yeah. 
Um, Matt, Mary Bradley is asking how quickly we could uh, we could re-electrify the network if we started now. Would we meet the target twenty fifty? We could again. I'd, I'd I'd recommend going to the um, the traction decarbonisation network strategy uh, episode of, of Real Matter, which you'll you'll find if you if you trace back. If you search Real Matter TDNS, it should appear, and the data is in there for how long it can be done, uh, how quickly it can be done. There are two options: one for twenty forty, and one for twenty fifty of of electrifying you know as much of the network that can sensibly be electrified which is 86 percent of it by the way um yes so so it can be done but it needs to start now we need to in fact we needed to start three years ago really but we certainly need to start two years ago the traction decarbonization network strategy has disappeared by the way the interim was released and the final version has been killed i don't see i don't think that will ever see the light of day absolutely criminal horrific they're just this government are absolutely despicable honestly despicable um, uh, Matteo asked about trolley buses. Yeah, I'm all for trolley buses, but you know, e-buses are fine and normal buses are fine too. Like th these are fine. The the issue that with buses is that actually you need to get all the cars out of the way. So more bus lanes is probably more important than installing trolley buses. Uh, Gareth Williams, when I lived in Liverpool back in 97 a small fortune was spent consulting on reintroduction of trams. Nothing was done. Yeah, that's because the actual a small fortune. The tr trouble with a small fortune is it's easy to spend a small fortune. It's difficult to spend a large fortune. And government, when it comes to the, the actual money to invest in these things, Treasury aren't interested, are they? Uh, hence why the small money gets spent to make it look like it's going to happen because you can pay the consultants and do uh, do lots of more analysis. Um, hello, as a rail consultant, I wave. Uh, Pineapple Man 3. Do you think that rail freight operators will try to electrify the lines to ports and increase capacity if, if they put the money in themselves like Chiltern Railways? The freight operators are just not interested in that. They don't have the cash. They don't have the cash flow to be able to do that. They don't have the liquidity. They don't have that sort of cap that, that level of capital. The idea that private that, that there is, you know, there's 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 limited interest from any private investors to do any sort of heavy infrastructure stuff. And much as government constantly talks about it as if it's a realistic thing, it isn't. It never happens. And government just needs to get on and invest itself. Um. Those lines do need electrifying, of course. What are some positive things coming out of COP26 and the budget retransport? Thanks, Dave. That's a good question. Uh, Ryan Hogg, uh, should we focus on hubs around existing transport arteries? Thinking Anik Almuth uh, could potentially be a quick one. Yeah, absolutely. Those sorts of things. We, we need to have integrated transport. There are some good examples in Cornwall, actually, of good bus and rail hubs that work really nicely in a rural setting. Really, really good work. The, the, the examples exist. Would swapping out Euroshuttle trains for trains with cargo containers lower our carbon footprint? Uh, Le Shuttle is, is a bit rubbish and eats a lot of capacity and arguably continues to induce demand on either side of the channel. Uh, so, I, I mean, I would be all right with us chopping it up, actually, and just basically scrapping the shuttle and carrying, uh, just carrying everything that goes through the shuttle on, on container trains. I'd be happy with that. Uh, Chris Bird, with a following wind, the West Midlands Metro will be reopening the city centre section, plus Wolverhampton Station and Five Ways Hagley Road extensions very shortly. That'll be good. COP26 doesn't cover microparticulates that are often produced as a uh, an FF byproduct and a fossil fuel byproduct and a minimal impact on the climate but deadly for people yeah, absolutely oh there don't get me wrong the, the the climate crisis you know carbon emissions is only one facet of, of the wider kind of ecological calamity that we're that we're inflicting on ourselves as well as all the health health kind of disbenefits you know hundreds of thousands of people are impacted by poor quality air uh, globally you know millions in fact and and it, you know 
EVs don't solve a lot of the problems related to cars. You know, EVs solve maybe one of the problems related to cars, but they actually make some of the particular problems worse. You know, there will be more plastic. Car tires are the single largest source of, of particulate plastic, of kind of plastic bits in in the world. You know, in the ocean, ocean plastic, most of that is car tires. It is, uh, you know, it's, it's, cars are problematic. EVs don't solve most of the problems related to cars. Uh, where are we? Uh, let's see. Uh, where are we? Oh, yeah, that Adam Evans. Uh, that exchange with the Carlo guy. Yeah, he emailed me. I did have no intention of engaging with him. Sorry. He's just, he's just, he's suffering from groupthink. He's choosing data. He's decided what he wants to believe. I'm just not interested. Um, even smart people can be deluded by some fact. Con cars cheap. Yeah, he's just not interested in, in what he had to say. Uh, what would be my biggest impact? Dave asked what my biggest impact list for railways would be to aid climate goals. HS2. Northern Powerhouse Rail, extension of HS2 up to Glasgow, and extension of, H- of another high-speed line down to a new Severn Tunnel, then splitting towards South Wales and Bristol. Those would be my, my big, big ticket items. But below that, uh, I would say electrification is critical because it allows us to run a better railway. We also need to build a lot more trains. Key thing. Those are the kind of the key things I'd shout about. Um uh, Matt Reed, will any government do what's needed? I feel whatever colour is in won't do what's needed. Um, no, I don't think they will. It's very depressing, isn't it? I honestly don't think they will. But we have to. Ju- that doesn't mean we have to stop trying and pushing hard to make it happen. Hazels, do asks, do we need to sort out rail electricity uh, charges to stop rail companies swapping to diesel traction under the wires? Uh, yes, we definitely should. Um... Michael C says, Ella's convinced me regarding Le Shuttle. Uh, yeah, probably, yeah. Uh, David Shepard asks, should the government offer a scheme where people trade in cars for free rail passes? That'd be nice. We should just offer a, we should offer things like what they have in Austria, where they have a single, you pay a single f- figure, and it, by the way, should be a lot cheaper than an overall s- season ticket, and you just have access to all public transport in the country. That would be incredibly powerful. Do that, and you would drive a lot of modal shift. Trouble is, our buses are crap in this country because of deregulation and the rail network is you know we will be struggling with capacity fairly soon again well is it uh, simon uh who i don't know who was it who was talking it was john stone actually talking about the fact that even with rail running at 70 percent um that's that's where rail was in 2008 2009 so we've only lost about 10 years of growth we're still the railways are still full folks <laughs> as a lot of people experience when they're traveling at the moment Oh, how about a low-cost single-class service, aka Lumo, through the Channel Tunnel to tackle short-haul flights? That'd be nice. Yeah, uh, Eurostar. Uh, a lot of people, good people at Eurostar. Uh, a lot of others who've left because of you know this government not funding it. But uh, Eurostar is not a great train operator, frankly. We should all try. You know, I love traveling by Eurostar, but there there are lots of things they do a really bad job of. Um, I'd quite like more services to be run through Eurostar, uh, through Eurotunnel, uh, actually to to actually do a bit of competition. Whether it's I don't care whether it's Private or public, but a bit of competition through the channel would be a good thing, I think. Right, okay. Oh, let's go back to small face again. Uh, that's there's some Q and A stuff. That's we've had an hour. There's, there's, I said it was going to be a short episode. We've done some chatter, some discussions. Uh, there's, there's, there's some more questions coming in. Chuck them in the Discord or save them up. I'll do more sessions. There's, there's obviously going to be more climate kind of Q and A sessions, and I need to do some more general rail matter Q and A sessions because there's always interesting questions. Um. Yes. So, uh, thanks for everyone for joining. Thanks everyone for dropping in. I know it's a bit of a, a bit of an ad hoc episode, but uh, hopefully interesting. It's been a pleasure to have you along. 
let's now oh let's let's whiz on and talk about what's happening next so all right okay so audio only people aren't hearing this work got in the way i've got them all downloaded i just need to upload them now onto podbean so it will happen i'm sorry it's still back on episode 77 it's nearly gonna be 11 episodes behind it's not great um lots of good questions coming in now but i'm not going to see them because i think we're gonna have to i've got fish downstairs that i need to eat and i'm very hungry um uh, but thanks for all your questions. Store them up. Chuck my way on Twitter. Uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, Patreon, Discord, and PayPal. Uh, Patreon people, there's new new bonuses, which I'm about to tell you about, uh, which is very exciting. Um, and indeed, some of you were getting to watch me do some sort of Patreon-only streaming last night, which is also fun. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, then drop into the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Dennis. The Discord server is at gavdennis.co.uk slash Discord. You can go in there, and what you can do is... Uh, do all of the chat that's been happening in the in this in the in the side here, uh, but more twenty four more twenty four hours seven days a week. It's relentless and there's a lot of joy in there. And yes, I know the reshuffle of the channels is long overdue, but what can I say? I, I things always end up overtaking me. PayPal is where you can just chuck me loose change if you fancy it. Very kind if you do that. And and the good thing about PayPal is if you chuck me a bit of loose change, you can leave a little message. And a few people left a nice message. Very kind of you. I don't, I don't know what the fact that you all the, the the pennies that you give me means that I can justify kind of taking time to do some of this stuff. That's, that's the main reason it happens. Yes, it's fairly the stuff I do is all fairly cheap, but it allows. Yes, it pays for train tickets for me to go and do location natters. But by and large, the thing that the patron and the PayPal pay for is. Just, it is the time, the justification of the time. Because obviously there's, you know, there's a bit of a time commitment. And I have a nine-to-five job, believe it or not. Ah. Right, the fun stuff. There are merchandise things to be bought right now. The merchandise is available to be purchased. Uh, there are... Oh, in fact, watch this. I'm putting it on. Is it going to work? Oh, crikey. There are face masks like this one. Look, it's a rail natter face mask. <laughs> Look at that. And since there's going to be another lockdown this winter, and we're all, we should all still be wearing masks, um, look at this, there we are. Uh, since we can all, you can have, and look, it's got Colton Junction on it, look, there you are, Colton Junction on my, it's on my nose. Anyway, um, oh. Yes, so the masks are available to purchase. They're, uh, they're, they're quite reasonable. They're, they're made by Masquette, who make my, they're, they're really comfortable masks, they fit really nicely, and they make my regional railways mask that I wear all the time, so that. But, my favourite piece of merch by far is the is this mug a gadget band mug. I'm very pleased with this one. I think it's awesome. I encourage all of you to get the is this mug a gadget band mug because it's ridiculous and I love it. And and if you're a Patreon supporter, you get discount codes. Um, I will send you through the discount codes shortly. But there are discount codes for Patreon people. So if you want a big discount, and it is uh, it is a hefty discount by the way. Um, then you can get the merch, and it's only they're only two little things. It's on the website. You can go you, on the Masket website. It's on their homepage. You can find it. But I've put a link in the description of this as well. Um, more merch. If you want more merch, make recommendations. Make recommendations of fun merch that you'd like, um, and I shall add it to the list. Uh, it's been, it was quite. It's been fun working with the Masket folks to um, to make the the mug and the mask happen. The mug, the mask. What's the third M thing we can uh, we can make? Anyway. Discount codes, yes. Uh, I, I alluded to this last week, but I thought I'd mention it in a, a, a just to kind of reiterate. If you want to, if you want to vent some frustration, I cannot recommend listening to or indeed being a guest on Trash Future uh, highly enough. Trash Future podcast. Uh, if you just search, if you're a, uh, one of their Patreon subscribers, because it's, it's a paid episode, but um, you can subscribe and then you can listen to it. And if you enjoy it, you can listen, keep listening and subscribing, or you can unsubscribe after you've 
subscribed as long as you paid one month. That's fine. Uh, I didn't, I did, whatever. Uh, they're, they're all lovely at Trash Future. It was a f- tremendously fun, um, tremendously fun episode to sit in on. So I'd strongly recommend um, going and having a listen to that, where I get very irate and angry about railways in Britain and very irate and angry about why things don't happen and why they should happen. So I strongly recommend you go and listen to that. It was good fun. Oh, now, next week's episode. Next week's episode, oh, now, uh, episode 87. The Architecture of the Railways Built 3. It's the 30th episode celebration episode with Tim Dunn. Tim's joining us next week. It's going to be lovely. It's going to be catharsis. Good grief, we need it. Oh, golly, we need it desperately. Uh, it's going to be nice, uh, and uh, it should be quite the treat. Something a bit different to the previous two Architecture of the Railways Built episodes, um, or Rail Matter episodes. Um, I'm very excited for this one, not least because it means that Tim and I get to just sort of drink wine and, and talk about fun things and forget the world and generally enjoy and be happy. Because you know what, folks? You need some joy in life. Joy is important. Uh, you need to step back from things and gain a bit of joy so that you can have the en- build up the energy for the fight again. So there we go. That's, that's it next time. Everyone, uh, thanks thanks so much for um, for dropping in. There's some, there's some good questions. Let's see if I can pick up any of the questions that popped in just here. Extension rail cards, unlimited free public transport, small annual fee. Could the network cope? Uh, no, it couldn't. Uh, da, 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 da. Actually, read the particular emission paper he offered as a source for trains are worse than cars. Particular argument: it said nothing of the sort. Best leave him alone. Yeah, agreed. He just doesn't understand. He's just a bad scientist. Uh, if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, there's a guy who was suggesting that that, that cars are less emission. Like, he, just he was talking about em- particular emissions from trains versus cars. It was just nonsense. Um, Rigor Mortis, did you see the graph from David Horn of LNER fame on diesel usage reduction after the 80X introductions? Uh, yes, absolutely. It was a really good graph showing how their consumption of fuel reduced. But of course, does, and also it'd be interesting to see what their passenger numbers increased as a result of the increased number of seats that those trains provided. Because to be honest, that's the more important thing for greenhouse gas emissions is reducing how other people traveling other ways. Chris Bird, infill electrification schemes, will they help climate at a fairly modest cost and not too long lead time? Yeah, definitely, particularly for freight. They're only they're they're alongside major electrification route electrification. They're only a f- there's a list like a hundred list of like very small a list of a hundred very small little electrification schemes that would allow a huge like seventy five percent of all rail freight to go fully electric like seriously easy stuff. Um, why aren't super chats here on YT enabled? I don't even know what that is. Uh, sounds fun. How many milliliters is the mug? Good question. No idea. Um, Scarves. It needs to start with them. Mittens. Gregor suggests mittens. That's a very good suggestion. Rail matter mittens sound great. Oh, right. Anyway, enough of that. Like you've all been lovely. I'm sorry, it was a bit of a. It was a shorter, lighter natter episode. I mean, ten minutes late already. But anyway, I'm going to go and eat fish. You've all been lovely. Thanks for joining, and uh, I'll see you all soon. See you all next week. Cheerio, cheerio.